0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Today, we are having a conversation about change management, building on our last conversation about organizational change. Joining me today is some of the leadership team within the ISBN enablement operations team. I have Jesse and I have Robin Bittner, I have Amy Evans, and I have Teresa Kramer. Hello, everybody. Hey, Brent.
1: Hello. So.
0: Hello. <laughs> In the last iteration, we talked about organizational change and how you deal with it as a leader. This time, we're going to expand on that conversation a little bit, and we're going to focus on change management. And I'm just going to start off by saying we're not adhering to any specific model, because there are plenty of models out there in the world. We're just talking about how you can have intentional change and how do you work through that. Teresa, do you want to start me with, with some content on there? (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, so to your point, um, there are a lot of different practices and frameworks, a lot of different thought leadership on the topic of organizational change management out there. So um, regardless as to the one that your company or your team prescribed to, I think the, the real The real point here and the real conversation that we need to have is recognizing that we need to manage change in our organizations. Organizations don't do it well. They don't buffer the space for the activities needed, which is why you see a lot of these pitfalls when you're talking about doing a lot of these large sweeping or even small uh, changes inside of organizations. And getting back to our last podcast, really getting clear on your why you're doing the thing versus it just being buzzwords. And it's the new cool thing to do
0: right so you know a lot of times i think of this as as an individual contributor where it's like this thing has been announced and okay we're done that's like there's more
1: to it right robin well yes there's always more to it and the what you're describing is an absence of information that will help you understand about this, whether it's the meaning of it, the purpose of it, or how it's gonna go about. And you know, as, as Teresa mentioned, uh, organizations tend in many times places, some, some smaller ones, large ones do it better than others, but it's, it's sort of assumed that this is a communication. It's not a process. And so the example you just gave, a lot of times there may be an instance of like, oh, hey, we have to tell folks about this. And so you'll see some sort of discussion that occurs, maybe maybe not even a discussion, it may be just an email that goes out, or maybe it's a, it's a topic at a town hall or just to just share or whatever. Um, folks go through processes of change. As we talked about in the last podcast, there's a curve that you go through organizationally. We go through that as individuals too. And some folks can get through that really easily and quickly, Because they happen to be very um, change welcoming. Other folks are, you know, hey, you know, to quote an old line, you've moved my cheese in some way, and or changed my cheese type or whatever. And I'm just really uncomfortable with this thing that I've gotten, you know, sort of built into with how I do my work, the value I provide, how I go about my day. And so, in order to be effective at change, it needs to be recognized that it's something that requires focus, diligence, investment in. And it takes time. And it's not simply, a, we're going to go this way and do this. There typically is some other further investment that's required to help folks through the journey to get to the desired state.
3: Yeah. I'm going to jump into on, on what Robin said and, and reemphasize that you know it's, it's about individuals and people. I mean, we talk about org change, but we're not talking, the, the org is not some, you know blah. that can be all changed at once it is comes down to how does every single person in the org respond and react to that change do they have everything that they they need do they have which includes you know the the time to sort of process the change the intrinsic reasons why um you know any sort of supporting effort uh, knowledge whatever they, they need to do that change and and you know of, of course the coaching from the leadership to help them through that change so i mean when you really think about it at an individual level and perhaps it's a, a monumental challenge to think about big organizations but at the end of the day like the, the org change has to take that into account in in some means
2: yeah i'll build on that organizations are built of humans <laughs> not of cogs in the system and the psychology around change is something that organizations across the industry should be better at by today and, and they're just not.
0: Yeah. Amy, thoughts?
4: Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, um, you know, it comes down to as leaders, how do we support the individuals um, within our teams to go through their, their process. At the same time, we're also going through our own process of change. And, you know, it's it might be the loss of a leader, or it might be, you know, additions to our team. It might be, there. there's all kinds of changes that happen that we as leaders go through. And, you know, there's a, there's a line, I think of around, you know, we, the information Line the telephone game that happens, and um, how do you define or decide as a leader at what point can you start to bring your team members along on that journey of change, so that they don't get what I call the whiplash effect of change, which happens. You know, you referenced it. An email came out. Okay, we're changing direction. Well, that's that's a whiplash for people. They can't just see the email and then make that switch. But as leaders, how can we start to glean some of that information, hopefully earlier, and start to weave that into the dialogues that we have with our teens all the time to help them understand that things are happening, things are going to happen. What, is, what, the, what might that look like? Um, is there going to be impact or not? There might not even be any impact, but because oftentimes we hear the change, because if we haven't been able to bring people along, there's an assumption that a change is happening to our teams or to ourselves in the absence of information. We make up all sorts of stories. People make up all sorts of stories about the what ifs. And so I think it's really important as leaders, if we start to hear things, to try to dig under the covers, get the kind of information that's hopefully um, informative, that we can bring those team members along, Um, understand the impacts and help them understand what's going to happen to them, if anything, or if it's something that we need to just be an awareness of, because maybe it's a team that we're working with that's going to be going through a change. Well, we might not. How do we support those folks?
1: Yep. Yeah. To to build on Amy's point, um, thinking about change, you know, requires the planning and preparation prior to even knowing that a change occurs. Because in order to react effectively to the individuals, you have to know kind of what their bias is and how they think and act, and so it's really important that you don't wait until a change happens. This why these relationships with individuals, with other leaders, if you happen to be a leader of leaders, understanding how they act, because every every level's got to go through that. And um, th- this may be a, a rather stretch from an analogy, but having lived currently in California and then also having had the opportunity to live in Dallas for a few time for a few years, um, the thought came to mind one time the observation that one could put people into two buckets. If you want to put people into two buckets, and they're the buckets that I call earthquake people and tornado people. And it revolves around how do you react to the notion of change or the possibility of change. And there very clearly are some people who say, I don't want to know that something might be potentially happening because I don't want to have to worry about that because that's a burden, a psychological burden I take on, which distracts me from that. And if it never happens, I've wasted all this energy time and focus on something that's not going to manifest itself. Other people are like, I'm a tornado person. I'd like to see the projected trajectory of where this thing might go so that I can prepare or not worry about it. And I'd like that advance warning so I can think and process this. So then when it actually happens, the carry on effect may not be that great. And so if you look at organizations and you go down to individuals, it really requires all of us, that are in any sort of leadership position, it doesn't have to be a staff reporting position. It can be people that are leaders by virtue of their knowledge or their roles or their influencers in an organization. We all need to know what is the organization around us operating and how do they function so that when these natural instances come along of change, which change does happen, we are better prepared to react in a positive way to address what we know the needs of the folks will be. And I think to Teresa's point earlier about how do organizations prepare or not prepare, they don't react well because there's not this investment of time to get to really know the individuals to know how to position things and then spend the time with the unique responses that people have to help them move through this as efficiently as possible to get back to that steady state that we desire to return to.
3: I think you're also bringing up something that I was that made me think about. Um, it's almost kind of like uh, plan changes and and unplanned mm-hmm. changes. Uh, I think on the the plan changes, which is I think more the typical org change, transformational change. Um, I think leaders have that time to prepare. So going back to that communication that's emailed out, there's a lot of time of processing that change talking through with other leaders that sort of informational first uh, advantage um, and I think we've we've talked a lot about that the other type of change though is, is you know the tornado or immediate sort of earthquake um, and where everyone sort of gets that information at the same time and um, I find that a uh, interesting case on on change management because you don't have the opportunity to deploy a lot of the techniques that you might in, in the more of the plan change. Um, and, the building,
2: and, sorry, Jesse, go ahead, and finish with that.
3: And I, I think just just to finish that, that's where the culture and the principles and and you know if, if you can rely on those, that's those are good techniques in that, in that situation. So, yeah, yeah
2: I, I completely agree. The tornado and earthquakes are great examples, right? Both California and Texas have invested money in infrastructure to try and deal with that unexpected change. Most organizations turn a blind eye to it and don't build that into their DNA. And what are we going to do if we have this Mm -hmm. change that comes along that we're not expecting? That's the reality of life. And pretending like it doesn't happen inside of these these systems, these organizations that we've created is negligent in my opinion. (laughs) So so.
4: I just want to go for a minute, for a second minute, whatever. Um, But I think what's interesting is um, from a lean perspective, if you look at and you work with any organizations who are doing manufacturing, they have built into their systems for unplanned. And as we, we think about how do we apply those lean principles into our organizations or even you know, some of our agile, how do we build, how do we plan for the unplanned? You know We should be able to build in some processes to help us manage through, whether it's an escalation process, it's a communication process, it's planning for the 20%. I mean, ideally we're planning constantly for the 80% of what happens to us on a daily basis, how we deliver, how we deploy, et cetera. But there's always a 20% that we always, you know, when we do improvement, we say, well, you know, we're going to focus on the 80%. But at some point we do have to get to the 20%. And the 20% is the unplanned. And we should be getting to Teresa's point in companies that, you know, software development if, if or, you know, any type of company that's, I'll say non-manufacturing, we can plan, we can make a choice. Are we going to be a responsive organization or a reactive organization? If we're a responsive organization, it means that we're planning. We've got some of those mechanisms in place. Now, do they have to be perfect? No, but we at least have had conversations about it and high level bullet points of what the actions we're going to take. I would rather be in a responsive organization than a reactive organization. It's like the tornadoes and the earthquakes. Um, I've used the analogy of, uh, you know, in healthcare, worked in healthcare for a number of years. And, you know, what you want to have in healthcare is you want to have a positive response to a medication that you give to someone. You don't want to have a reaction. A reaction means that there, you've got a patient now who's, you know, in trouble. We always want to have a, a positive response to something. So how do we build those responsiveness into our organizations
1: instead of the reactiveness yeah one one of the points that i jump in real quick jesse if i could one of the res- thoughts that came up amy listening to you was that you know or, what organizations do often have is a disaster recovery plan that they yeah. practice they don't have a change recovery plan mm-hmm. and i think that's what a lot of what we're talking about here is hey it'd be nice to know is hey when these things sort of things happen here's generally how we're going to go about doing this and having it at the race so they can be more responsive as opposed to reactive. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jess, back to you. I, I think there's
3: also two things that I really wanna harp on here. And and I was listening to a, a sort of a podcast recently on how well, um, going back to the health scenario, hospitals have, uh, or hospitals and health organizations have been able to deploy uh, vaccines. And there were differing levels of, I mean, even putting aside all of the debate on on, on the on taking the uptake of vaccines, just the logistics of being able to get those out quickly uh, and, and other um, COVID therapeutics. But um, some hospital organizations have just been a lot better, and typically those are the ones that are more, um, you know, two, two or three magnitudes better. Those are the ones that are, are much more responsive and can deal with emergent type of conversations versus reactive. And so it's, you know, even giving similar levels of, of, you know, funding and all of those type of things. So, I mean, a lot of that speaks, and relates back to, to Agile and lean on how responsive and resilient is your organization in, in these, um, in these times.
4: I think what you bring up too, Jesse, is a good point just around having worked in one of those, not I don't know what organizations you're referencing, but in a healthcare system that had a lot of positive systems, the leadership team and beyond, the communication and the trust from leaders all the way down to line staff was open. And so, when things happened, and we knew what we knew what levers to pull in order to be responsive. We knew how to have those communications put together, like Robin said, you know, the disaster recovery plan. We all knew what to do when the change occurred. It, it, and because we had built those systems and we had built that trust and we'd built those communication changes, those communication lines, it's easy to respond to a change. And you can also practice it. You I mean,
1: that's the other it. thing, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. The other thing we've spoken about here that really came to light with um, Jesse and Amy, your comments there brought to mind, you know, DevOps principles, lean principles, and that's around feedback loops. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about be prepared so that you can be responsive, but also monitoring how you're doing on there. Don't just one and done and say, oh, it'll be taken care of or handed off. It's like, hey, is this working or not? And then being nimble enough to shift whatever we're doing because different types of situations of change may require different types of responses. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a life cycle sort of awareness, not just the moment of the occurrence. You got to move upstream, you got to move downstream. And if you manage all that well and you're coordinating, you get some practice in, as we've talked about, then successive changes that come along, you've not only evolved a process, you've also educated the organization on this is how we deal with these sorts of things when they come and that's part of your culture. That's a defining element of, we recognize these things occur and we recognize how we're gonna generally respond. And as new folks enter that organization, they are indoctrinated into that process so that each successive change, if you're good at that, will run more effectively and hopefully shorten that change cycle for most folks. Now you're always gonna have folks who may need a little more help or some move a little quicker. But at least you're this is it's part of this is how we do this as opposed to, oh, yeah, that kind of happens and we'll do something when that occurs.
3: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think back to that uh, sort of emergent, we don't exactly
3: know what's going to work. So, I mean, specifically back to the the healthcare example, I think it's like, you know, if we're gonna do a mass vaccination center, all right, we need to start thinking out of the box and like, you know, we don't have to be tied just to our our hospital premise. We might think about convention centers or we might think about, um, I know even up, up here, like at uh, St. Saint, Saint Francis, they had their vaccination in the local community center um, just and completely reorganized the space just because, you know, they didn't have enough, they wanted to keep it separate and they didn't have a space in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I think that's a really good point. We don't exactly know. So, you know, it's more of that emergent type of type of play as well.
0: Okay. See, I was just seeing. Go, go, go. go. So
2: we've been talking a lot about manufacturing. We talked about healthcare. We talked about these natural disasters, which are all very visible physical things that people can can see and touch right and I I think the important parallel here is software development is harder to see and touch you can't see the product you can't see the necessarily the impacts of everything that you're doing and while we've been talking about you know some things that are actually mission critical where lives are in jeopardy a lot of those same concepts can we can put into place when we do software development which is a lot of the techniques that we're trying to get teams to pick up as we're we're having these conversations about agility and tying back to change management it's all that more important for the leadership team to support that and for us to manage that change so that we can create that safety culture and really get the benefits of all of these things we're trying to get people to do yeah
0: and i would i sorry i mean i would posit that communication is the key Because if you're not communicating that change to the team, then the team is going to take the vacuum of knowledge and they're going to create their own reality. Because I've been on teams where the reality of the situation was not what the team was believing because there was no communication.
4: Yeah, I think, yes, the, the communication piece. But just to go back to what Teresa was saying, I've been in software development companies where we have applied lean principles to how the teams are developing. Once teams understand the flow and and all of the sub-assembly systems or sub-teams that impact their flow, when change happens to one of those sub-teams or even their own, it is visible because you've spent the time to understand and document even at, even at a high level, if I know I go from, you know, my business owner to my, you know, product owner, to my, you know, to the, even at the highest level, if I understand the steps and I understand how other teams fit in when their time comes to inter- interact with my team, when change happens, I can become more responsive because it's not hidden anymore. And the, the notion that, you know, software is hidden because, you know, and product is, when it happens, it's out in the customer. It doesn't have to be invisible. We can make the work stream visible, which helps people understand how change impacts them.
2: And that's true of all knowledge work. It doesn't have to be limited to software, right? It's It's hard to quantify things that are in people's heads, but when you start to visualize that, it becomes a tangible thing that you can actually Try to improve. You can manage it. You yep. can't manage what you can't
4: see. Exactly.
0: Anything else we want to cover while we're here?
4: Uh, have another topic for our next podcast.
0: Which <laughs> one would you like that to be, Amy?
4: Visualizing knowledge work. You can't <laughs> manage what you can't
2: see. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a good one. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So, guess what? We have time with we have time with the people that we're having this conversation with. I bet we can probably get it done in about twenty minutes. Ooh, silence. Okay, that means we're gonna do it at another time. I know my
2: topics, Brent. Yeah, yeah.
1: I know. No, no.
0: I know my audience. I know my audience. It's all good.
1: It's all good. Didn't we deal with that change right now really well? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: We all responded the same way. <laughs> same <laughs> so way. People don't <coughs> respond to change differently.
0: The, the, well, the host saw saw the immediate feedback from his guests and went, we're not going to do that. Well, that's going to wrap up this iteration. I'm Brent. I'm Robin.
2: I'm Amy. I'm Teresa.
3: And Jesse.
0: Until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us at info at fasterthanastandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Stand-Up. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.